Now, I don't normally do what I'm about to do. In fact, hardly ever, if ever. But I'm just going to announce, we're going to have a guest speaker this Sunday. I never, I never tell that, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm throwing it out there as a risk, okay? We're having guest speakers. We've been talking about, you know, we're having guests uh, throughout the rest of this year. And we have a young man that's coming this Sunday. Uh, and, and, and you ought to come just because he's got a neat name. Uh, his, his first name is Streeter. Uh, S-T-R-E-E-T-R, Streeter Wyatt. Uh, and I just thought, hey, he's got a cool name. Let's have him come. <laughs> but, no, it didn't happen that way, exactly. Uh, but uh, when, when uh, he got in touch with us, actually, uh, Spencer Carey, the uh, brother whom we are doing a partnership with a uh, church plant in South Carolina, he, uh, he got in touch with me and he said, hey, I know what you all are doing, and uh, he said, I've got a, a, a recommendation for you, uh, and it was uh, this young man, and so uh, so we got in touch, we, we talked and set a date, and then I had lunch with uh, a chaplain friend of mine who attends Sojourn Community Church, where Streeter does, it just so turned out, uh, and we were having lunch, and uh, I mentioned this, you know, this guy from Sojourn, I said, do you happen to know him, and I mentioned his name, and he said, oh yeah, I know him, he's a great guy, and so uh, I've had two real high recommendations uh, now, again, keep in mind that most of these gentlemen that we have are, are going to be young. And they're, they're not, not going to have a tremendous amount of experience, okay? And so, um, so I'm just telling you, hoping you'll be here, okay? Uh, and, and you'll come and be an encouragement to this young man, and uh, he'll be a blessing to us. So uh, from what I understand, he's just really a fine young man. So he has a wife and two children, and guess what his one-year-old boy's named? Streeter. <laughs> Yeah, so, anyway, let's take our Bibles, turn to Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 5. Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 31 through 37. We're going to try our best to cover all of that section, if, if, it, if at all possible. We'll try to give equal balance to both sections, because verses 31 through 32 deal with divorce, and verses 33 through 37 deal with oaths, or maybe a better way of putting it is integrity. So we'll read beginning at verse 31 through the end of verse 37, and then we'll try to uh, unpack these, see what it has to say for us. Jesus speaking, he said, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, even by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is God's word. Now, remember the context for what we're reading. Always, uh, you know, at least, at least for now, I want to remember what we're looking at for right now is the examples that Jesus is giving us of, uh, of exceeding righteousness. Uh, so that, that this is, I think, number four for counting. And there's, I think, there's six of them. 
And so this is number four. Jesus is giving us some examples of exceeding righteousness. Again, this is righteousness from the heart, righteousness that is internal uh, as well as external, as opposed to external only. Now, it seems kind of normal, it should, that the subject of adultery, which was back in verse 28, last time we were here on Wednesday, uh, it seems like the subject of adultery would lead to the question of divorce, kind of natural. So in verse 31, notice it says, that those first few words, it was also said. Uh, remember, just, this is just to remind you that Jesus has been calling attention to the oral teaching of the rabbis when he said, it was also said, or it's been said. You've heard it said, that sort of thing. And he's just reminding them, here's, here's what you've heard. Here's the teaching that you've heard from the rabbis. And most often, uh, it, was, it was somewhat distorted and had deviated from the original intent. But notice, Jesus goes on to say, but I say, you know, but I say in verse 32, but I say to you, uh, this is not Jesus making a new law. It is uh, Jesus getting to the reality of the original command, uh, mending what had been distorted by the rabbis. Now, just, just before we go any further, there in verse 32, again, it says, but I say to you. And you know, this thought occurred to me this week. It's nothing really profound, really simple. Uh, if, we're going to, if we're going to render exceeding righteousness, which is what Jesus is calling his disciples to do, uh, that our righteousness would exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. If we're going to do that, here's what's essential. We must listen to and obey Jesus. Simple as that. The, start, the starting place, I mean the, the entrance into living a life of exceeding righteousness is listening to and obeying Jesus. Because at each place he says, but I say unto you, but I say unto you. And so it becomes imperative that we listen to what Jesus has to say and seek to obey that. Now, in, in verse 33, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, verse, verse, verse 31, I should say, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Uh, Jesus is saying to them in verse 31, you have heard that if you wanted to divorce your wife, all you needed to do was give her a certificate of divorce. Now, where does that come from? Well, hold your place where you're at and turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 24. It's really important that you see this because uh, this is the original place where we we get this this, uh, idea of a a certificate of divorce. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, part of the Old Testament law. And so let's take a look at it for just a moment. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 4, all right? Verses... Verses 1 through 4 of Deuteronomy 24. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, and she departs out of the house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. Or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. Now notice that word defiled. We'll come back to that in just a moment. For that is, the, that is an abomination before the Lord. Now the, the first thing you, you want to know that 
it, it, this, this conditional language. It says, if, 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 that sort of thing, okay? want to notice that, if. So what's, what's the problem here? What is, Jesus, what is Jesus getting at? See, by Jesus' by Jesus's day, okay, you, you, you go from Deuteronomy chapter 24, there's this, this, this concept of giving a certificate of divorce, uh, if, if a woman is defiled or unclean, there's another word for defiled is unclean. By Jesus' day, this, uh, the main principle of this passage uh, has, has changed. And it's all over this idea of uncleanness or defilement. And by Jesus' day, this, this concept of uncleanness had become unlar- enlarged. Um, it, it now included, for ex- let me give you an example, it now included some imperfection in the wife as trivial as serving her husband food accidentally burnt. In other words, there was specificity in, in here that, that said, okay, if she's defiled, then, okay, certificate of divorce. If, if she's, uh, what, what does it say, if, if she finds no favor in his eyes. And so over, over time, this, uh, this whole idea of, 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 um, of divorce began to open up for, 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 for different things. In other words, the idea of defilement began to be enlarged. Well, maybe it means this. And maybe, well, maybe it means this too. And maybe it means this, you see. And so all of this was to make divorce uh, easier to justify, okay? And so this is the context for what Jesus is speaking about. Original teaching, original teaching has been distorted, okay? And the, and the, and the ease of divorce has become uh, much greater. Now, most of you know this is not the only place that Jesus has something to say about divorce. There is another important place we need to look at, and that is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19. So let's look at that for just a moment, okay? Because, you know, again, let's no, no, no doubt about it. The, the, the subject of divorce is very controversial in the church. And so we'll take just a minute to look at another place where Jesus speaks about divorce and we get a, a, a much broader picture, okay? In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19. And you'll notice, perhaps in your Bible, it'll say right at the beginning of chapter 19, teaching about divorce. Uh, In chapter 19, let's begin at verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Notice that phrase, any cause. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whosoever... Uh, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now, what's going on here, and, and what's going on here is really important for understanding why Jesus is saying what he's saying. First, during, during Jesus' time, again, divorce was even controversial then, okay? And there were two, uh, what were called two rabbinical schools of thought, 
uh, during Jesus' time. One of them was the school of Hillel. I think this is in your notes. Uh, school of Hillel. And they held uh, a more liberal view, meaning that you could divorce your spouse uh, with, uh, for a variety of reasons, okay? And so it was much, much broader, much more liberal, okay? Then there was the school, the rabbinical school of Shammai, which was more conservative, okay? And so it was more restricted, all right? Less, you know, less, um, and again, divorce was, was not as easy in that, in that form of teaching. And so here's what's going on. In Jesus' time, again, a very controversial subject, and there were those who felt, hey, it, you know, get divorced for a variety of reasons. Another school over here were like, no, you can't. Uh, the school of Hillel interpreted this idea of uncleanness broadly. Uh, you know, in, in other words, she's unclean because of this. Or you know, she burnt the food. She's unclean. Uh, you know, she, did, she didn't do this. She didn't look good that day, so she's unclean. The school of Shammai had a much more limited interpretation of the idea of being unclean. And so this is the backdrop, okay? This is the backdrop against what Jesus is saying in Matthew 19. Now, the Pharisees, in verse 3, the Pharisees come to Jesus to test him, and they said in verse 3, is it lawful to, to divorce uh, one's wife for any cause? Now, it's very likely, again, most commentators believe that the Pharisees were more attracted to the school of Hillel's view, meaning they were leaning more toward being able to divorce for any reason, for any cause. In other words, be, be wide open. And so they come to Jesus. And notice they ask him. It's, they're basically saying, hey, which side are you on? Which side are you on? Because uh, they ask him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And so they want to get an answer for him. Which side are you on here? And, and so... In, in Jesus' response, here's a few things we want to notice, okay? And they're really important regarding this subject. Uh, first, note where the Pharisees seem preoccupied with the grounds for divorce, Jesus was preoccupied with the institution of marriage. Notice what his answer is in verse 4. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them female, male and female, and therefore said, uh, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. Verse 6, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Notice Jesus' view of marriage where the Pharisees are, are preoccupied with, hey, with the grounds of divorce. We, we need to talk about uh, uh, you know, the, what the grounds are. Jesus turns the attention back to permanence, back to the, or, the origin of marriage. He goes all the way back to the book of Genesis and makes it clear that divorce was inconceivable. There was no allotment in the beginning made for divorce. That's Jesus' point. He goes all the way back to the beginning, and here, here, here's what God intended from the beginning, and there's no allotment whatsoever at the beginning concerning divorce. That's the first thing we want to note. The next thing happens in verse 7. They said, in response to what he said, they said, Why then did Moses give one, uh, or, or why then did Moses command? Notice that word. Why, did, why then did Mo God, Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Here's what we see next. The Pharisees call Moses' provision for divorce a command. Isn't that interesting? 
The Pharisees, it's like, hey, Moses commanded this. But Jesus calls it a concession to the hardness of human hearts. Notice what he said in verse 8. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. And see, the Pharisees were like, oh, well, we're commanded. We kind of, we're kind of commanded to do this, you know. We don't really want to, but we're kind of commanded to, you see. And Jesus is like, no, that's not what's going on here. It, it's a, it was a concession for the hardness of human hearts. And even when Jesus gave that reason, notice in verse 8, even right when he gave that reason, because of the hardness of your heart, he goes on to say, but from the beginning it was not so. So on one hand, the Pharisees are like, look, you know, we, we've, got a, we've got wide open here opportunity. Moses commanded this, and Jesus is like, no, that was a concession for the hardness of human hearts. But let's go back to the original plan. And the original plan and purpose of God was that there would be no divorce. The next thing we see is this. The Pharisees regarded divorce lightly, but Jesus took it seriously, so seriously that with only one exception, there can be divorce. And we're going to talk more about that in just a minute, but look at verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. This, this is often called the exception clause. Uh, and and, and here, here's some of, the, you know, some of the debate that goes on within the church, and you're probably aware of it. Um, if, if you read this and this was all you read about divorce, you would go, hey, this is the only, this is the only exception. If there has been um, sexual immorality, it's interesting, that word there again is pornea, okay? And it, it's, it, it's referring here to some act of physical or sexual immorality uh, that would be a, a, a reason, a cause, a justifiable cause for divorce. But we also know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul includes the desertion of a believer by an unbelieving spouse as being another justifiable reason for divorce. Which brings us to, again, a great deal of debate about this. And one, one of the, maybe you've heard this before, maybe you've even considered this before as, as an interesting objection. Some, some question whether physical abuse would be grounds for divorce, even though it's not mentioned in the scriptures. And, I, and I've, heard, I've heard some interesting um, arguments for this, and I, you know, I'm just just laying this out here for you to think about. Uh, often, you know, oftentimes people will say, "Look, Jesus gave one exception; it, it's sexual immorality. That's it." But then Paul also adds that desertion, you know, desertion would be justifiable reason. But then the the question becomes: Well, when Jesus gave that exception, was he was he intending to, to, to say, this is it, there's no other options? Or, some, as some argue, look, was it necessary for Jesus to give a list? In other words, would it be necessary for Jesus to say, uh, and, and somebody in the crowd go, is that the only exception? No, I've got five or six others here, you know. 
or would or would it be common sense? Here's what here's part of the argument. Would it be common sense if if you're getting the snot beat out of you as a spouse? That might be justifiable reasons for divorce. You see, so here's what here's what I would say. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, one who is serious about their walk with Christ must make some decisions. Okay, for, the first thing being. Am I serious about my walk with Christ? That's the first thing. Because we have to be concerned about what's often called a slippery slope. Okay? Um, Because, as I've heard in some of these arguments, if one says, okay, I believe that physical abuse is justification for divorce, and it may be, okay, even though there's no specific statement in Scripture, uh, one might be tempted to say, well, it's not physical abuse, but it's verbal abuse. See? And, and then we accept that, and then it might be something else. It might be something else. And then it, and then it, can, then it can come down to, as some said, well, we're just not compatible together. See? See? And so it, it, just, it, you know, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so uh, I think what we first have to first have to do regarding this subject and any subject, we have to first decide, look, am I serious about walk, my walk with Christ? And I want to I give some of this some really hard thinking before I just casually start, uh, start making decisions. Uh, in fact, let me, let, me, let me wrap that part of it with, with this statement by uh, somebody I have a lot of confidence in, in. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way. Failure to keep the marriage covenant is to live a lie before God and man. Bind it, therefore, on your heart. Decide that nothing will breach it. Strengthen it by genuinely having and holding your partner, loving and cherishing them by God's grace, and gouge out from your heart anything that might destroy the joy of your relationship. Good advice? Yeah, good advice. Any, any, any questions, comments before we move? Because we want to shift gears and go right into the next section. But... I just you know, I know this is again a a really highly controversial subject, and there's no way that uh, what I've had to say tonight covers every bit of it. But we're just wanting to touch on this part in the Sermon on the Mount. Anybody? Any any comments about? It? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And and glad you glad you mentioned that. I say you know, just by no means saying everything that needs to be said tonight. But yes, uh, divorce is not an unforgivable, unpardonable sin. Certainly. Anybody else? Any other? Anybody else want to weigh in on that? Okay. Okay. Well, let's take let's take the rest of the time. Only twenty five minutes, but boy, I tell you what: the deeper we get into this, it, this just becomes more convicting. And uh, uh, and and boy, if it's verses thirty three through thirty seven are really, uh, really tough stuff here. Um, how many of you know we live in a culture where truth telling has just gone off the rails? Right, it's, it's really it's really difficult. You know, it's funny. You know, it's it's funny. You know, the, the, let me just say this: Don't anybody get mad. You know, the conservatives are like a bunch of liars, a bunch of liars. You can't believe what they say. And guess what? The liberals are saying that too. <laughs> They're saying that about us too. You know, and of course, if you're conservative, every liberal's a liar. Of course, if you're a liberal, every conservative's a liar. See, see, see the see the problem we got. <laughs> And, you know, it just, I don't want to get into that. Let's, let's just stop there, okay? The, my point is this. There is, it, it's really gotten difficult to tell 
who's telling the truth okay, about things, okay? Um, and, and, and the good thing about that is, the good thing is we're starting to remember the value of truth, how important it is, how valuable it is, you see. And so what we're going to see here is that Christ's followers must be people of integrity. They must be. One of the examples he gives of exceeding righteousness is we must be truth-tellers. We must be people of integrity. And the first question we want to ask here as we look at verses 33 through 37, is Jesus prohibiting oath-taking? And it's important that we understand that some in the church tradition say yes. For example, the Quakers, George Fox, and this was interesting, I thought, I found this, uh, he was being sentenced to prison for refusing to swear over a Bible that he would tell the truth. Here's what he said. You have given me a book here to kiss and to swear on, and this book which you have given me uh, to kiss says, Kiss the Son, in the book of Psalms. And the Son says in this book, Swear not at all. I say, as the book says, and yet you imprison me. How chance do you not imprison the book for saying so? And, and from that statement, here's what happened. Today, because of George Fox's stand, you do not have to lay your hand on a Bible in a court of law and swear to God that you're telling the truth. You may simply say, I affirm that I'm telling the truth. That's because of George Fox's stand. Now, uh, George Fox, again, was a Quaker. He believed that Jesus was saying here, no oath-taking whatsoever. I don't agree with him, uh, but, but, you know, you, you can have whatever position you want. But here's the interesting thing. When you look through the Bible, you find that uh, Paul, Paul in a variety of places took an oath. Uh, I won't turn here, but you can mark this down in your Bible. In Matthew 26 and 63, when Jesus was before Pilate, uh, let, me just, let me do it. Let me read it because this is kind of neat. Uh, Jesus responds, uh, it says, in, but Jesus remained silent. Okay, He's silent before the high priest. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. He charges him. In other words, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus breaks his silence. Okay? And he says, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the, the Son of Man seated at the right hand of, of, of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So, Jesus responds, it's, it's like you, you, you make, make an oath, and Jesus responds to that, you see. And so we have Paul you know, taking an oath, Jesus taking an oath. We have, in other words, we have examples of this in the Bible. And so we don't think for a moment that Jesus is prohibiting oath-taking. So if he's not doing that, then whatever, whatever in the world is he doing here? Jesus, uh, in Jesus' time, again, oaths have become perverted. Again, every one of these examples he's given is, you know, you've heard it said, you know, you've heard, you've heard it this way, and it's, it's been distorted over time. Let's get this straightened out. Uh, and a good example is this. One, one Jewish rabbi taught that if you swear by Jerusalem, you're not bound by your, your vow. If you swear by Jerusalem. But if you swear toward Jerusalem, you were bound to keep your... And that, as I read that, I thought, it's kind of like crossing your fingers, you know? I had my fingers crossed. <laughs> I promised, I promised, but I know you, it didn't count because I had my fingers crossed. That, that's how silly that would be, okay? So let's look at this, and, and let's try to take the time we've got because there's, there's a lot here that's interesting. 
A Christian does not need on, to call on God to witness what he says. Let, let's say someone says, as God is my witness. You've heard that before, right? Now, what does that usually mean? Um, I, I realize under these circumstances that I, 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 I call God into this. I, I, want, I, I want you to know I'm really telling the truth as God is my witness. Now, why, why should a Christian uh, not talk or think that way? Why? I'll give you an example. Uh, I, was, I was reading about a, a pastor who was counseling with a man who um, got caught in an adulterous affair. And as they were going through the counseling session, the man said this. He said that when he used to bring his lover to his home, he would have to run through the house and, and, and turn all the pictures of him and his wife down on their face because it was like she was there. <laughs> it was, like, it was like, like he couldn't go on with his act of adultery because it was like those pictures were like her presence there, you see. And the point is this. Why, why must a Christian not call on God to witness what he says is because God is present with us always and knows what we speak. We don't have to say, as God is my witness. No, we don't have to do that. Why? Because God is present with us always, and he knows when and what we speak. And in that sense, a disciple of Jesus is always under oath already. You see? Turn over to Psalm 16 and 8 and look at a verse with me, if you would. Psalm 16 and 8. It's funny how... There, there was a few girls playing out in the parking lot and uh, just before church. And they, uh, I, I stuck my head out the door and I said, girls, if you come back at 7 o'clock, uh, we've got some fun things over here for the kids. And they were like, oh, okay, okay. When there was only a couple of girls who heard this. And so Christy happened to be walking in the door. So I opened the, I opened the door for her. And I happened to hear one of those girls run over to the other group and go, uh, uh, they have this massive thing going on for the kids. <laughs> and I said, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. I said, there's stuff going on for the kids. See, isn't it funny how that we, I mean, that, that's, that, I, when that happened, I thought, wow, that's a good example for what we're looking at tonight, how we embellish. Yeah, Jeff. Good. Yeah, I, I thought I saw them come through the door, so they did, they did come. I think they live right over here in the strip of houses. But, but anyway, that's just an example of how, you know, it, it, it'd be like, you know, like how many, I went fishing the other day. How many did you catch? I think it's about two dozen when it was, you know, it was a dozen, you know. It, how easy it is, you know, for all of us, you know, just to add a few numbers on it sounds a little more impressive, you know. And so that, that's really kind of what we're talking about here. In Psalm 16 and 8. David said this, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Now, what is David saying? He is, he is one, he's saying, I see God as being always with me. The, the way I live my life, the way I, the way I go about my life, the way I go about my business, I consider God being with me. Uh, I have set the Lord always before me. But then notice he said, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. In other words, 
He's saying, because he's with me, I can be a person of integrity. I cannot be a, you know, a, a, a shaky, wishy-washy person, you see. I can be, I'll not be shaken. I'm going to be shaken by what people think and, 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 and be fearful of people. I'll, I'll have rather instead the fear of God. See, a person of integrity has no levels of truth. Okay? There's, you know, there's, there's this level and then there's this level over here and then there's another level. A person of integrity has no levels of truth. That's why as we go back to Matthew 5, notice uh, what Jesus said. He said, let, let what you say be simply yes or no. Uh, and, 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 you know, we hear, we hear this a lot. You know, we, like, we, we speak to somebody and, we, and, and they say, hey, you know, did, did this happen? Uh, yes. And we, like, sometimes we feel compelled to go, yes, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, I swear, uh, you know, I, I swear on this. And it's, it's like, it's like or, or we'll say things like, well, well, I'm going to tell you the truth. Well, you know, again, I mean, <laughs> you mean right now as opposed to other times when you're not? You know what? So you let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. And notice what he says. Anything more than this comes from evil. That, that, that addition to say yes and or no and. There, there's, there's, there's evil behind that. There's, there's evil that is driving that. I found, uh, uh, I found this kind of helpful for parents. I just ran across this. And I thought, well, I'll, uh, I'll bring this along. Uh, anybody here, how many of you taught your children to lie? Anybody? <laughs> anybody, anybody sit them down when they're about two years old and say, Let me, now, look, I need to teach you something really important. I need to teach you how to lie. It's going to be really important in life. You didn't do it, but they still lie, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, let me, let me read you something here. Samuel Johnson wrote this. Parents, listen carefully. Accustom your children constantly to this, which is the telling of the truth. If a thing happened at one window, and they, when relating it, say that it happened at another, do not let it pass. But instantly check them. You do not know where deviation from truth will end. It is more from carelessness about truth than from intentional lying that there is so much falsehood in the world. So his point is, sure, there's intentional lying, but it's more from carelessness about the truth that ends up there being so much falsehood in the world. So as a parent, it's a good idea you know, to, to, to check it right then, you know, like, uh, oh, it, it, it happened this way, you know, kind of like out in the parking lot tonight, you know, you know, oh, is it having this massive thing for children, you know. Um, the thing I found most interesting about these verses in, is, is found a word in verse 33. So I want you to look at this with me, okay? Again, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform see that word perform to the lord what you have sworn for me personally as i was going through these verses and preparing it this was the thing that that helped me the most was to to note to learn that that word perform the english word perform uh some translations have keep but actually 
It comes from a word, pay, pay. So let's read it. It says, but you shall pay to the Lord what you have sworn. So you, you've, you've made a promise. You, you, you've said this. And, and, and now you must pay to the Lord. Now what does that mean? Uh, and this was, to me, the most helpful, the most challenging, I guess, the most practical of, 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 of this for me. To be a person of integrity, we must pay a price. To be a person of integrity, we must pay a price. Here's what I mean by that. We might think this. If I tell the truth, they won't like me. If I tell the truth, this could happen. I, I'm, I might get reprimanded if I tell the truth. I might lose my job if I tell the truth. And we might get to a place where we're not willing to pay the price to tell the truth. See, So when Jesus says, you know, perform or, or pay your uh, uh, your, your, what, you, what you've sworn, you pay, pay it to the Lord. It, it, means, it means telling the truth oftentimes will require us to pay a price. People may not like us. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you know, that we're, we're, we're trying to intentionally be hurtful to people. It's just I have to speak the truth. I have to tell the truth. It may, it may be costly. I think most, most of you know that. It, it, it would potentially be costly uh, to do that. Uh, I, l- I love what um, uh, George McDonald, maybe you'll find this helpful. He said, I always try, at least I think I do, to be truthful. All the same, I tell a great many petty lies, things that mean one thing to myself, though another to other people. But I do not think lightly of it. Where I am more often wrong is in tacitly pretending I hear things which I do not especially jokes and good stories, the point of which I always miss. But seeing everyone laugh, I laugh too for the sake of not looking a fool. This last line is interesting. My respect for the world's opinion is my greatest stumbling block, I fear. The the truth is, one of the reasons why we may be reluctant to pay the price is because we're, again, it's, it's fear of man. We're afraid of what people will think. What are they going to think about me if I, you know, what, what's, your, what's your stand on this? You know, where, where, where do you fall on this? And, and you know, we just don't want to pay the price, you see. So here's the question. How can we be secure enough to pay the price? And take the remainder of our time, think about that for just a moment. How can we be people like David said, I'll not be shaken. The Lord's ever before me. Because he's at my right hand, I'll not be shaken. I'll be a person of integrity. It may cost me. How can I be secure enough to pay the price? Take your Bible and turn over to John 18, and we'll finish there. John 18. We're asking the question, how can I, you know, when we're in the heat of it, when we're in the heat of it, 
And we, we kind of feel that pressure and we feel like, oh my goodness, this could cost me. What help can we get to help us to stand strong and be secure enough to pay the price? In John 18, I'm going to start reading at verse 22. When he had said these things, this is Jesus, when he, Jesus, had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Jesus is, Jesus is making a point here. You hit me. You struck me because I told you the truth. Jesus told the truth. He spoke what was right. What did he get for it? He got hit. In other words, simple example here of Jesus paying the price for telling the truth. But here's the greater truth. Jesus was in the process of going to the cross to pay the price for our lack of truth-telling. Jesus, what, what he's going through as he gets struck in the face, as his beard is plucked out, as he is eventually nailed to a cross, he is doing that. He is paying the price for our lack of truth-telling. In other words, we are saved by his integrity. The very fact that we are saved, redeemed, forgiven, part of the family of God is because we're saved by his perfect truth-telling, his perfect integrity. And so the point is this. May this fortify us enough that we will be people of integrity. In other words, we, when, when, when the pressure's on, this may cost me that we will, like the book of Hebrews says, consider him. Consider Jesus. Consider what he went through. Consider what he did for you. Consider the fact that he paid the ultimate price because of our failure to tell the truth. And as we think what he did for us, may that be what fortifies us to be able to pay whatever price is necessary and be people of integrity. Because Jesus is saying here again, before we finish, Jesus is saying, you must have righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees or you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is one of those examples of exceeding righteousness. We must be people of the truth, people of integrity. And probably so far out of all of what we've looked at, this, for me personally, has been the most convicting and weighing heavy. And then... I started looking at the next segment of verses, and it was even heavier. <laughs> so we got, we got just a few minutes before we wrap up. Any, anything you'd like to add, any comments or thoughts that you have as we, we look at this, and then we'll be, we'll be gone. Anybody? Anything that stands out to you here that uh, is helpful or challenging or uh-oh? Or <laughs> Boy, when you look at this, doesn't it, doesn't it bring to you one of the things doesn't bring to you like oh jesus help me <laughs> oh jesus help me that i'll be a person of integrity great what david said 
I'll not be shaken. Be able to go through life and yes, nope, <laughs> and not have to not have to add on any other things that come from evil. It's, anybody before we go? Anybody? Yeah, Larry. That is so good to remember. So good. Yeah. Larry, Larry just mentioned that, you know, we, we, we will be convicted. We'll be convicted by the Lord, but not condemned. As his people, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but we'll certainly be convicted. I think, I think it's, I wish I knew the verse, but in, in Proverbs, you know, sometimes we can be too wordy. And oftentimes that, that kind of gets us in trouble, you know, when we get real wordy and we're been it'd probably been better if we hadn't said so much because now we've we've said more than enough and too much in some cases and we've gotten in trouble by our words <laughs> and tongue. Anybody else before we pray? Well, may the Holy Spirit seal this to our heart and help us in our uh, in our truth telling. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Our Lord has called us to exceeding righteousness, and my goodness, my goodness, we, each week as we go through this, we, we, we feel the, the weightiness of this. This is, this is not for people who are unregenerate. This is not for people who do not have the spirit of Christ dwelling in them, uh, because the only, the only way that we can even begin to to, to accomplish this is with help from our Lord. And so, Lord, help us. Help us as we leave this place even now to, to begin to, to be very aware, first of your presence, that you're always with us. And may we be like David because of the Lord is at my right side. I'll, I'll not be shaken. May we, may we not have to be like the man who turned the pictures over to try to get away from your presence. We can't. We can't. And so help us to remember as we speak, that we uh, speak with grace upon our lips, and uh, maybe even what James said, be slow to speak, swift to hear, slow to wrath. Uh, and, and as you help us, Lord, we can become uh, people whom uh, reflect your glory and re- reflect your lightness. lightness. That's what we want. That's what we want. That's what we desire. So help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good night, everybody.